women already have a difficult enough time making significant headway in the corporate world. We can say that we've come a long way, certainly, but as you know, every year we, we hear how Latinas, it takes them almost a full year later to earn the same dollar. It takes Blacks over half a year. So we have a lot of financial disparity that we're still fighting against. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Today I am here with Cassandra Descent. She is a project management consultant, financial wellness engineer, and speaker. She works with clients, corporate employees, and audiences to provide practical solutions to help them take ownership of their career, achieve financial stability, wellness, and wealth, and become more emotionally intelligent leaders. We both share a passion for uh, being financially literate and speaking up about money, so I wanted to bring her on to the Breaking Money Silence podcast as part of the Women, Money, and Power series. So welcome, Cassandra, to the call. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit and talk about your myths. So let's just jump right in. And why don't you tell uh, the audience what money myth you brought to the show today? So the myth I am talking about with you today is why do I think I don't deserve more money? In relation to that myth, I've come across it so many times, especially as it relates to female under earners, because they have often communicated to me that they don't have the confidence or perhaps are missing some advanced degrees beyond high school or they lack experience in a desired role or field. And as a result, they feel that they're just not going to be successful in landing their coveted position or they're not confident in negotiating a salary or a raise. And at the core of it, some of them really believe that they don't deserve to earn more And it's something that I really wanted to touch upon, especially being a woman and person of color. How do you define under-earning so people who are listening in can understand what you're talking about? The way I perceive under-earning is in two prongs. One, that you are not being paid commensurately for your experience, for your knowledge, for your education. But more importantly, that you may not either be aware that you deserve to earn more, that you are, you know, based on your qualifications and and or experience, and that you may be chronic because you might be seeking out jobs that are beneath your capacity and capabilities. And as a result, you are being poorly paid. Well, I have to just disclose that I am recovered under earner. 
I <laughs> I worked in a, a profession for many years that I loved, but I left because I felt like, you know what, I'm never going to earn my worth in this particular profession. And uh, then soon after started KBK Wealth Connections. And, uh, you know, most of my listeners know the rest of the story. So I'm really excited you're bringing that topic, even though it's a hard topic, uh, to light with this particular myth. You also mentioned, the second point I wanted to make is that you mentioned, you know, specifically to women and specifically to women of color. Can you say a little bit more about uh, how this idea of not feeling like you deserve uh, more money or to make a, a, a decent living may tie into those two things? Having grown up in, in an immigrant community, um, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant myself, actually double immigrant, and I was raised by a single mother, low-income household. So my early formative years were really in an environment where her earnings were very low. And she worked as a nanny and as a uh, chambermaid for, for as long as I could remember. So we always struggled with having enough money to make sure all our bills were you know, paid. And at a very young age, I was quite aware of how much she made, how much the bills were, and sometimes you know, that there was money missing. So my experience with seeing my mom under-earning motivated me in part to say, I, I didn't want to experience the same. I, like, what could I do to, to, you know, change that dynamic for me as a next generation? So that definitely impacted me on a very personal level. Yeah. And so what did you do to make a difference in your income? So at the beginning, I, like you, I recovering under earner. I started out my career in a call center. I was studying at university in psychology, no less. And I loved money, but I didn't know, I didn't understand money enough to wield it properly. So I was lured by the idea that, well, I don't need school. I can just go to a full-time job and earn. And at the age of 22, I started to out-earn my own mother. I I was making 32,000 plus bonuses at the time. And my mother was making less than that. So, okay, I achieved a goal. I was earning more than my mom. I'm on my way. However, Long story short, I got into a lot of consumer debt, racked up $55,000 worth of it. And by my early 30s, I realized that I was in a serious predicament. So part of my plan was to figure out, oh, okay, well, what can I do besides cutting my expenses? And I was very fortunate to come across a book called The Secrets of Six-Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. Oh, I love that book. Yes, it's 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 it should be a classic. Like It should be required reading for women in high school, if not college. That's my honest opinion on that one. It's, it was so um, profound for me and it really impacted me positively. It first introduced me to the concept of under-earning because I never recognized that I was an under-earner. I thought I was doing fairly well because by that time I became a credit analyst, a corporate credit analyst, and I was making about, I would say about 50000 at the time. But I wanted to pay off my debt very badly and, and realized that, okay, I, I, I was not going to earn that much more being a credit analyst if I continued on the path I was. So what I did in large part was to figure out how to employ tools and strategies to help me seek out new opportunities at work. That would in turn allow me to you know, negotiate successfully for raises, which I did. I started earning double digit raises after 2010. And then what really catapulted me into six-figure status was that I took the risk, despite my fear, and applied for a new technology position in my company that no one really wanted. 
And I was able to convince my manager to send me to a boot camp in the US. I was working in Canada at the time. And that decision was pivotal. And it served as the springboard for a very professionally and financially rewarding career. So I'm curious about a couple of things. One is when you first started out earning your mom, what was that like? I mean, it sounds like it was good because you felt like, oh, I've achieved my goal. But were there any mixed feelings about that out earning a parent? Yeah, (laughs) that's a really astute question. It caused a bit of friction between my mom and I. Because in my 20s, I was still immature in the sense that I felt that because I earned more, I started to respect her less. And of course, she took offense because what she was able to do was what she was able to do given the scope of her situation. And it took a little bit of, you know, reckoning internally with me to understand that I had to separate, you know, self-worth from your net worth, so to speak. And I had made a very, very big mistake in combining those two. And that's what in part led me to debt. So I really had to have a really deep conversation with my mom so that she could tell me how she was feeling about my attitude towards her. And I, in turn, could begin to internalize that, you know, offer my deep, deep apologies and begin to look at money differently. Yeah, thank you, thank you for your honesty. I think it's such a complicated thing when we start to out-earn our parents or become more successful. And in the coaching that I do with women entrepreneurs and business owners, what I find is that often, whether you're conscious or, or not, you get to a certain level and then you have to do a little bit of that internal work to be able to kind of push through it. And what's also nice about your story, Cassandra, is you did that, but then you also had a dialogue with your mom. And th- th- that next piece, I think, is so important. Uh, The other thing I was curious about is, you know, the idea that you took a risk, that you took a job that nobody else wanted. And I know when we're talking about, you know, women embracing their financial power, being leaders in companies, moving up the corporate ladder, one of the things that always comes up is risk. So how did you decide you were going to take that risk? And and do you think that's part of your success or do you think it it wasn't really risky at all? No, it was very risky because, you know, paint the picture, which is someone who has no technical experience, doesn't have a computer science background uh, or IT background or education, and who just basically says, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to do this. And what happens if I fail? It's my first attempt in a completely different field, uh, working with a, a completely different mindset of individuals, right? Technical people. Uh, so yes, there was a huge risk of, of falling flat on my face, so to speak. What helped me was that I was smart enough to secure mentorship from the beginning. So I, I enlisted my advocate as my, like my immediate boss. She was a champion for me. She went up to all the way up to senior vice president to sign off on it. It required that, that much convincing, you know? Then I acquired two more female mentors and in the field, and they were a godsend for me. They were they served as guidance, they served as critical assessment, and they helped me to move up the ladder, so to speak. So I, I can't take the credit completely. I had support, but I made sure to have it because I knew I couldn't do it alone. 
Well, and I think, you know, in addition to taking, it sounds like a big risk, you also knew enough to get support. And I think that's one of the things that I want to talk about in this series is the idea that when you are somebody that's either, you know, financially powerful or when you think about just the concept of women, money and power versus men, uh, money and power, you know, often it gets confusing for women because it's we're not brought up to be competitive. And if we are competitive, I'm competitive by nature. If we are competitive, somehow we're supposed to downplay that or we're supposed to not, you know, fight that urge to be too collaborative. And it sounds like that collaboration and that elevating uh, each other really paid off in, in your career. And, and so I recently read an article that you were interviewed for, and you it, it really struck me. You said something along the lines that in order for to, to change the gender disparity in leadership and finance and business, women need to elevate each other. Can you speak more to that? Absolutely. Uh, it's something that has become central to my day to day operations in terms of how I uh, choose to do business, uh, the companies I, I aspire to do business with. But more importantly, women already have a difficult enough time making significant headway in the corporate world. We can say that we've come a long way, certainly. But as you know, every year we, we hear how Latinas, it takes them almost a full year later to earn the same dollar. It takes Blacks over half a year. So we have a lot of um, financial disparity that we're still fighting against. What makes it worse is that when you do have women or people of color in positions at the managerial or executive level, and they, for whatever reason, just don't make it easy for those who are coming up in the ranks to support them or to acknowledge them or to understand that they are paving a way for those that are coming through the corporate world. It just really doesn't help. So, you know, I think in that same interview, I mentioned, you know, the statement, don't be that woman, but don't be that person that is willfully standing in someone's way of progress. Seek to enable each other to progress. The more of us that are, are present, is the more change that we can affect. Do you have any thoughts about how we can get over that and start to support each other because we can bring each other up? I, I would encourage every, every one of us as women to understand that there's more than enough to go around. This, you know, this comes back to the concept of prosperity and wealth and that there is more than enough success for each of us to hold, that we don't have to guard it as if, you know, you know it's the, it's, we've only got the smallest piece of the pie and we can't share that. Already, if we can work individually on developing a mindset of, of um, wealth and, and propensity to share that wealth, and, and wealth is not necessarily dollars and self, it's really about information. For example, one qualitative way of doing this is to have open and frank discussions about our earnings. How much do I earn? How long did it take me to earn that money? What did I need to do in order to negotiate a raise or bonus? Because when you've got colleagues, female colleagues, who are essentially putting in the same amount of effort, they have you know similar experience, uh, similar education, and they're making significantly less than you, that should hurt you. For me, it does. I don't want to see that occur. And if I can share my knowledge and intel to help that other person be able to stand up for themselves, then I think I've done my part. 
So I hear two concepts. One is about embracing and uh, abundance, prosperity, saying there's enough to go around, and and not only just saying it. I think you have to believe it, otherwise it comes out in your actions if you don't fully believe it. And I think the second thing uh, you're talking about is is you know even when you mention the pay gap for. Um, women of color, I get angry. I just think that is just so unfair. So maybe channeling that anger into being more transparent, which is the second concept of how do we start to share this intel? Um, I can't speak for what, you know, white men and the old boys network are doing, but my sense is they have a sense of, or they talk about what salaries are. And and I feel like a lot of uh, the women that I'm hanging out with now are being more transparent. You know, I'm a speaker and a a writer and a consultant, and often we'll talk about, you know, what people are getting paid and how to negotiate a deal. But I don't know what that's like in the corporate world. Are you free to do that in the corporate world, or is that more complicated? I, it's absolutely more complicated. What I'm suggesting is not easy, but it's necessary. And what I'm suggesting also needs to be espoused by the top leadership. So you've got certain companies who have an open policy where they literally publish everyone's salaries. So it's apparent what people are making. Those are the few and far between. The majority are very tight-lipped. They, they, they don't encourage employees having discussions about merit increases, bonuses, and, and that is not conducive to helping us write the wage gap and the racial financial wealth gap. So, but coming back to my point, you know, there's, there's action that needs to occur simultaneously on the several fronts. So what we are responsible for is that I can still take a colleague out to lunch and have a private conversation. And, and, and I have the right to share my salary unless I've signed an NDA that specifically says a clause that you cannot share what you make and et cetera. There's nothing stopping me from, you know, giving that information out. It's, it comes back to, I think, your character. And I think you alluded to it in terms of how strong are you? How willing are you to do for others? Are you angry about the situation? Does that upset you? Do you care about? And this is where being empathetic and emotional intelligence comes into play in terms of leadership. And that's something that I, I really focus on in terms of, of training and in terms of speaking engagement is to learn what it means to be emotionally intelligent so that you can equip others to become said way as well so that it, it profits them in their careers and their personal lives and, and also financially speaking. And so everybody who's participating in the Women, Money, and Power series, I'm asking them to leave the audience with one tip around how to embrace financial power. What would your tip be? Be willing to self-assess, be willing to go within. I, I talk about the mechanics of money, which is doing, you know, things such as, you know, spending less, earning more. That is what I call the mechanics of money. But the mentality of money and the mindset of money is something that that's the inner work that you really need to stop and consider, well, who are you? Why are you doing this? What does it matter? Is this something that's going to, to profoundly affect you as a person? So I encourage people to take a moment to, to really just sit back and look at themselves through their own lens with no filters, no one influencing them, no one telling them what they should be doing with their money. 
And from there, you can begin to lay the, the foundation and the building blocks of what your financial life looks like for you. And it's a very individual process. Well, I have so enjoyed breaking money silence with you. And as you know, big proponent of doing that self-reflective work around your relationship with money. So I second uh, that tip very loudly. And um, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, Kathleen. Thank you. So this is Breaking Money Silence. Uh, We're doing a series on women, money, and power. And if you are interested in giving us some feedback, asking a question, we're going to be taking those uh, in future episodes. So feel free to email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. You can subscribe on your favorite app, or you can go to my website at breakingmoneysilence.com. And remember that together, we can break money silence for good. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.